Maui Nui is on a mission to help balance axis deer populations for the good of our environment, communities, and food systems on the island of Maui. They've shared over 126,000 pounds of nutrient-dense protein with the Maui community. Secure your spot now. Become a snack subscriber and join in helping to build more resilient food and ecosystems on Maui. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I-Venison.com. And use promo code BEAR for 20% off your first order. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. My name is Clay Newcomb, and this is a production of the Bear Grease podcast called the Bear Grease Render, where we render down, dive deeper, and look behind the scenes of the actual Bear Grease podcast. Presented by FHF Gear, American-made, purpose-built hunting and fishing gear that's designed to be as rugged as the places we explore. Dan's instinct for where his mic should go is like really <laughs> off. It's the story of my Dan, life. Dan, every time we put on microphones, he's like, you can tell he thinks he's about to get in trouble. So he kind of, he kind of braces. I do. He left make, the gate open. It, it doesn't make eye contact. He doesn't make eye contact. And then I look at him and he won't look at me. And his mic is like jammed up in his nose. And like every time he breathes, it sounds like a rhinoceros. I'm nervous. I'm looking down. I know a lot of times when we're Sitting, a lot of pressure when we're sitting at in the world headquarters i hear breathing and then i'll stop and say is that me and then i hear it and i look and i'm watching everybody <laughs> you're watching their nostrils <gasps> and i look usually dan it's usually dan i look no, up there not. and i see and he's i'm watching his chest go up and down like, yeah, it's, you were like it's dan <laughs> it ain't me not this time oh my mouth breathers well welcome to the bear grease render is that I, what this is? Yes. I feel like I need to explain what the Bear Grease Render is because if somebody hears like, man, the Bear Grease podcast is awesome, need to listen to it, and they come to a render, they may not know what it is. <laughs> they may, they may hear Dan breathing profusely <laughs> through the microphone. The Bear Grease or Render. brushing his microphone with his mustache. Yeah. Oh, God. The Bear Grease Render is the, the, the secondary part of the Bear Grease podcast, which... Isaac, why don't you tell them what the Bear Grease podcast is? Uh, it's a it's a storytelling podcast. 
It's a nice I was going to introduce him as the guy that works on me as the assistant producer of Bear Grylls. The Bear Grylls podcast is a documentary style storytelling podcast. Yes. Taking things forgotten, but relevant. Yes. Anthropology, history, stories, biology, human history, human psychology. I once heard it described as... What else, Dan? I once heard it described as things that you could get excited about. Yes. So that's what the Bear Grease podcast is every other week. And, and it's then a there's very the render. Well produced. And then the render is when we break down, we render down. And why is, render yeah, is why a is metaphor. Render? render, the word render is a metaphor for what you do to bear fat to make it into bear grease. Mm. So you render it down, you melt it down, apply heat. And so the bear grease render is where we talk about the previous week's podcast. Okay, with a just kind of an eclectic group of people, different people every time. Usually, there's some people that are consistent. So, welcome to the Bear Grease Render. And on this render, we're going to talk about the podcast that came out last week called "Where the Red Fern Grows," Part One: The Peculiar Life of Wilson Rawls. So, we are right now near the town of Augusta, Arkansas. Is that correct? Yep. Augusta, Arkansas is in the Delta region of Arkansas. I've spent quite a bit of time in the Delta region of Arkansas this year, duck hunting. And then now we have come to what has become known as Coon and Squirrel Camp with Brent Reeves, hosted by Brent Reeves. Good to be here. Glad you guys are here. This is actually, we can thank Dan for this. You're welcome, boys. We can? Yep. Mm -hmm. Was it? Three or four I'm months ago, life thank goal not to thank Dan, Dan for anything. <laughs> Three or four months ago, we're we're finishing a render at the world headquarters, and he said, "Man, we need to get together and go coon hunting." And that's all it took. He lit the fuse, and bang, here we are. I'm like the spark that that lights y'all's souls on fire. <laughs> yeah. So and good, I had a good idea. So we have we we're here for two nights. We got here yesterday on a mm-hmm. Friday. We coon hunted last night. We'll talk about that. Yeah. We squirrel hunt a little bit this morning, um, and then and then we're gonna coon hunt tonight. If the the, squirrel hunting not, a little bit is foreshadowing, it was a little bit. It wasn't. It wasn't a lot of. Yeah, squirrel it hunting. wasn't a lot of. It squirrel. was a little squirrel hunting. Hey, I want to start off uh, before I introduce everybody. I have a story to tell you guys that is relevant to the coon hunting series that we're doing because coon hunting has been a fairly substantial sector of my outdoor life. Okay, and. When I was in the ninth grade, my good friend, Nick Cunningham, he, his dad came to us. We're 14-year-old boys and said, I think you boys should get coon dogs. And I had never coon hunted before. And they took us coon hunting. with. Uh, so Nick's uncle had coon dogs or his cousin had coon dogs. We went coon hunting with his, with his cousin. And I remember we were hunting in National Forest. And he had two blue ticks, uh, Teresa and Trooper. And Teresa was a real coon dog. And we, we road hunted back in the, in the long drainages of the Washita Mountains. Washita Mountains run east and west, long east-west east, running ridges. So the roads travel either the tops of the mountains or the bottoms of the mountains along creeks. And so there's long stretches where there's just roads going by creeks. And so you road hunted your dogs at night turned the dogs out in front of the truck and just drove down the roads and your dogs just hunted like quail dogs, you know, out in front of the truck. The dogs struck, and I really don't remember the sequence of events, but the dogs ended up on a, the coons typically if they're on the creeks, they go right to the top of the mountain and tree. 
And I remember that Teresa and Trooper treed on top of that mountain and we walked up there. And at this point, I still didn't think much about coon hunting. You know, it was just going out in the dark with these dogs and it was cool. But it, nothing was that unique about it. Man, when I saw those dogs treed and we shot that coon out and those dogs ended up at the bottom of the mountain after the coon kind of jumped out. And it was like the most exciting thing I'd ever been a part of in my life. And I was like, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to get into this. <laughs> yeah. And then Nick's dad came to us and said, Hey, y'all need to have some coon dogs. Y'all need to get some coon dogs. He went to the Arkansas Democrat Gazette and the printed version of the Gazette, which all there was at that time. And there was a, a litter of blue tick, registered blue tick coonhounds for sale about an hour away from where we lived on New Year's Eve, about 1994, I think. We drove in. The Cunningham's, like, total, like, mom minivan kind of van, hour and a half, and bought a pair, bought a, we were going to buy one dog, and when we got there, the dogs were, the dogs were $100 a piece, and Jeff Cunningham knew how to roll. (laughs) He picked out the dog we wanted, we started to walk away, and he turned around and he said, I'll give you $50 for another dog. And the guy said, deal. And so... Who Jeff, got the $50 dog and who got Jeff, the $100 dog? Jeff paid $150 for a pair of dogs. I remember we got, when we got back in the truck, Jeff said, I could tell that family needed an extra 50 bucks. It was, they were like, and it was New Year's Eve. He said, those kids will have a better Christmas. I'll never forget that. He actually said that. That's good stuff. And, Wait, uh, doesn't New Year's come after New Christmas? Year's, did I say New Year's? Christmas Eve. Okay, I was just—I oh, didn't, didn't want. I didn't. I didn't want. Okay, that changes everything. Yeah, I'm sorry. Did I say New Year's Eve? Yeah, you said it's New okay. Year's Eve. No, it's okay. The story. <laughs> Christmas Eve. It was Christmas Eve, 1994. Pretty sure. Incredible. And we get these dogs, and then here's where the, I'm going to speed the story up a lot. Okay, we named the dogs Macy and Maddie. My dad, Gary Newcomb, wanted me to name them after the president during that time. We won't mention his name after his wife and daughter, but we're not going to mention their names. And I said, Dad, that's a bad idea. So we named the dogs Macy and Maddie. They were registered blue ticks. And, um, and we raised the dogs, and they were never very good. They just weren't. They just weren't great dogs. We didn't know what we were doing. We didn't get to hunt them very much. And I started getting uh, Coonhound Bloodlines magazine. And I started seeing all these big, awesome pictures of stud dogs in Coonhound Bloodlines magazine. I still have the picture that I ripped out of the magazine of East Tex Blue Thunder, who was in who was in uh, uh, Center, Texas, which is a six-hour drive from where I lived. And I was a junior in high school, and I said, Dad, I need to go to Center, Texas. I'm buying a pup out of East Tex Blue Boomer. And it was a beautiful picture. Like, I, I, I ought to find it and put it on Instagram. Gary Newcomb and I... This dad was a good dad. He was like, okay, I'll drive with you down to Texas. We drive to Texas, pick up a pup. I name him Newcomb's Washita Southern Blue Thunder. <laughs> it's a mouthful. And this caused a major breakup with me and Nick. Really? Why? We, we worked this out back in the day. But I, was, I didn't handle it right. Like, I owe Nick an apology, which I apologize to him, but I'll do it again publicly. I wanted to get out of our pair of dogs. I was like, these dogs aren't for me, but we were partners. 
And so we got like mad at each other. He got, he kind of got upset with me <laughs> and it, and I was in the wrong for even just like, you know, bring it up. And so, or, you know, like trying to get out, like, why didn't I just like, keep you just the bailed on the dog. Yeah. You, I bailed on the dog. You left him yeah. as basically like a, a single parent. Are you a dead? Exactly. Dad? <laughs> exactly. And that's why I want to officially apologize <sighs> to Nick. Um, and so I remember like I talked it over with them and, and, and anyway, it was kind of like a big deal. And uh, anyway, I ended up getting this dog, and I, I still feel bad about that. Um, so, sorry, Nick. And uh, <laughs> East Texas Blue Thunder. No, no, excuse me. Newcomb Southern Washita Blue Thunder. Never made much of a dog, but he... <laughs> what a name. He, <laughs> he had a heck of a name. <laughs> so you ditched, you ditched your former Macy spouse. Macy and Maddie. In favor of uh, uh, the new shiny thing, which didn't turn out to be much anyway. Exactly. Oh, man. Never saw that coming. Yeah. And uh and then East Tex Blue no not East Tex Thunder. He incessantly barked in a dog box. Like I could not get him to stop and we didn't have electronics back then. And so anyway, we uh you know, he just like pretty much if he went hunting, he was gonna be barking the entire time he was in the box. Okay. I couldn't get him to stop. I mean <laughs> I could I tried every trick in the book, couldn't get him to stop. And um anyway that I said all that to say that Nick and I, when we hunted together with our dogs, we had a, two kind of infamous coon hunting run-ins that we talk about to this day. The first one was we were driving his dad's old truck called the Gray Ghost, and we were hunting out in the National Forest, and we were sophomores, so we would have been like 16. We drove out. We got nine miles away from our camp. And the transmission went out on the truck. And we're, there were no cell phones, no nothing. You know, just like back in the night. You didn't have cell phones. You had no communication. You're just walking out, you know. But we found out that the truck would drive in reverse. <laughs> <laughs> I'm dead serious. We It would not drive forward, but it would drive in reverse. And we drove nine miles back to camp in reverse. We took that, turns because our necks hurt. <laughs> that's the reason you got the automatic paw or automatic turn and then, on your neck. Okay, I'm. I know I'm hogging the. I'm doing a monologue here, but I just couldn't help it. Um, <laughs> and so, the second thing that happened was one night after we played a basketball game. It was late at night. I mean, we got done with the basketball game like at ten o'clock. And it was late in the winter. It was after the first year. So it was in January, February. We jumped in Nick's dad's truck. Nick's dad's a great man. Still is. Good guy. And um, he had an extended cab, long bed, full-size Chevrolet pickup. I mean, the thing was like 18 feet long. (laughs) Two-wheel drive. Yeah. We went out in National Forest and went on a, a section of road that is pretty remote. It goes from one community to another community, but it's basically like a one-lane road for about six or seven miles. And we're road hunting the dogs, and we we decide, you know, the dogs get away from us, and we don't know where they're at, and we decide we need to turn around. <laughs> well, we decide we can just turn around right here in the road because we couldn't find a place to turn around, and so we start doing like the 14-point turn yeah, yeah. in the middle of this basically one-lane road with an 18-foot truck. And the truck just absolutely gets wedged in between the two banks of the road. I mean, like the bumper is up on the bank in the front and the bumper is up on the 
bank in the front, front and back. And I mean, just like all of a sudden, it's just like we are stuck bad. And we'll have to eat old thunder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so this is, we were still hunting Macy and Maddie at this time. This was pre. Okay. You know, pre pre before you out. walked yeah. out. <laughs> yeah. And so we're right in the dead middle of this road. So we could walk either way, but we feel like the closest way to walk is to walk, you know, to the to the east is what it would have been. And it's several miles to a little community, a rural little rural community, and we knew that one of our English teachers lived in that community. His name was Mr. McMasters. <laughs> and so we well, just take off walking. Was the plan to just walk through town in the middle of the night calling for Mr. McMaster? No, it's not a town. It's like a community, meaning there's like four houses like surrounded by national forests. So you got a one in four shot that we you just get. knew that Mr. McMaster's lived in that community. You're either going to get Mr. McMaster's or you're going to get shot. Yeah. And so we walk, and it, I don't know how long it took us, but you know, several miles through the dark, and we get to Mr. McMaster's house around 1 a.m. And he is, he was our ninth grade English teacher. And he was like, just like the nicest man in the world. And so, you know, we were nervous to knock on the door. And we were, you know, I remember it was like, who's going to knock? You or me? And I'm like, you're going to knock. He's like, no, you're going to. And so anyway, we go up the door, knock, and we hear rustling around. And, you know, we knock louder and we hear more rustling. And we hear Mr. McMaster's wife. Say, who's there? And we go, it's Nick and Clay from school. Our truck's stuck. We need some help. And she just goes, okay. And the next thing we know, Mr. McMaster's just like springs out of the door, like fully dressed. Hey, boys, what are y'all doing? Oh, it's great to see you, boys. What are y'all up to? And he was, and we're like, we got our truck stuck. And he's like, oh, no problem. I got, I got my four-wheel drive. We'll just go in there and get it out. And so McMaster, Mr. McMaster drives back in there, gets us unstuck at 1 in the morning, and then we drive home, get home at 4 in the morning. I remember that. And uh, anyway, that was the story. Did you we, find the dogs? We got the dogs. They met us on the road on the way to McMaster's house. Oh, okay. So the dogs were with us when we went back. So we had to load the dogs up in Mr. McMaster's truck to get back. Did he get it, or did you have to, like, you know that book? Where the red fern grows, we were doing that. Oh man, he English was an English teacher. I know he for sure would have known about where the red fern grows. That feels like a missed opportunity. Yeah, can you get him on the second part? I wrote a poem about coon hunting when I was in the ninth grade in his class, and I still remember a uh-huh. a phrase of it. I'll tell it to you later. Um, <laughs> hey, we have some. We have two sort of guests today. We have Michael Roseman with us. So this is part where we're going to introduce guests. Michael Roseman. Hello. Man, good to see you. Good to see you. Good to be here. Michael's a coon hunter. Michael's a friend of Brent Reeves. And uh, so we got Daniel Roop, Josh Spillmaker. Present. Brent Reeves. Isaac Neal. Uh-huh. We'll get back to Michael. Isaac, uh, did y'all know Isaac works with Meat Eater now? Is that an appropriate way to say that? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I it's don't true. Know. Yeah. It's a true story. Yeah. Isaac is helping me a lot with bear grease right now. He's, uh, he, he is, he's, uh, come alongside and is helping with, uh, 
just every part of the Bear Grease podcast. So that's a big deal. I'm oh. the chief facilitating officer. <laughs> yep. CFO. I like yep. it. Quite a title. Facilitating whatever. Maybe you can yep. clean this mess up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Isaac is a uh, Isaac is a photographer, videographer, lives in Springfield, Missouri, an all around good guy. So they yeah. they I've brought in it. a fixer is what they did. Yeah. Yeah. They were like Isaac, go in there. Yeah. Fix it. Fix yeah. it. Fix it. <laughs> so Michael is a lifelong coon hunter. Yes. And you have a light company called Sunspot Lights. Yes. That's how I know you. Right. Yeah. Um, Brant, tell us about Sunspot Lights. Because you're going to be better at it <laughs> than me. They help you see in the dark. Man, they really are. <laughs> I got, here's how I got introduced to it. My buddy Rex, who's painfully obvious and absent from the from this, but he's on his way up here. He's going to be here in time to help us eat fish here later on. Good. But. He was wearing he was wearing one. We started hunting, and and you know, Rex and I met. He drove up in my yard, pulled up in the yard one day. I was out there cleaning out my dog box. He wanted to know what kind of dog I had. You know, people didn't live in my part of the country they either duck hunt or they either got labs or coon dogs, one or the other. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> turns out, it's right after I first got Whalen, and we became. He's an old coon hunter, and we became friends. And he was wearing a sunspot light, and he's and. Uh, he said, I need to introduce you to to Michael, my friend that lives up at McCray. I thought, McCray, that's just right up the road. He's like, Yeah, he makes these he makes these lights and we started hunting together and became friends and it's a good quality product made right here in the old US of A. Yeah. Right in the old backyard. Well, listen. I go up and watch Michael work. I said He does. He doesn't help though. I sit in he there and, help. and no. watch. My wife likes him for some reason though. So <laughs> she let she lets me. She in lets there. suspicious. Yeah, she, he sits on that me. side of the room with her too. Yeah. She's mm. the boss. Yeah. He's been yeah. trained to manipulate people. Always oh. sit with the boss. Now I got I'm some... still not entirely convinced Brent isn't undercover. Oh, oh, yeah. He is a double undercover agent. <laughs> Man, I thought that since so the first many, time I met him. There's so many layers to that. Now one I, day. He's going to flip out his badge and be like, Clay, all this time, I really wasn't your friend. <laughs> no. It was after you. Undercover Defense. game warden. And I've got you. Yeah. I got a question. Would you describe it more as a light company or a hat company? Well, I can sell lights without hats. <laughs> I've only right. seen the hats. Well, it'll can you come paint off. A, can you paint a picture for people who haven't seen your lights? Uh, if, so, when you say you got a light company, could yeah, be a Tell lamp. us about a coon light. Could tell us a, what a coon light is. Uh, so we made the first cap light is what you guys are referring to uh-huh. in 2009. I made it for another guy. It was called the smart light. Um, then in 2010, I started sunspot and it's, um, used to, we had what you, now, would, wait a minute, describe the first thing you said that the you, cap light. So what do you mean? Like a soft cap. So no, so it's an in totally a totally enclosed system, self-contained. self-contained system, with the battery and the head of the light on the helmet or gotcha. a soft cap. Because hard- used to when I walked to Mister McMaster's house, I was carrying a four pound battery yes. pack on my belt. You had, had a with a wire that went up to a hat that had my light. That's how because coon hunters need massive superpower light. Yeah. Yes, I started with a car battery and a backpack. Really? Really. You needed some serious light. <laughs> yeah, we were yeah. serious about it. I'm talking a 12-volt truck battery and a backpack hooked to a giant sunspot 
uh, spotlight. It was called a sunspot. Hmm. Was what that's where the name of the company come from when I was a little kid. Hmm. And so, okay, so th- that's what you mean by the batteries cap. have much improved, by the way. Well, yes. batteries and LED lights. But, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so describe the modern sunspot light, like because a lot of people wouldn't know what a coon light was. So it has a a battery box on the back, cord attached to a head on the front. Uh, we make them with switches to control different LEDs on the head and on the battery box. Either way, it's yeah. like a hard. It looks like a hard plastic. It's called a ball bump cap. cap. A bump, bump cap. cap. A bump well, cap. Well, there, there's many ways to wear. Basically, the light is designed to ride on your head. Correct. And there's multiple ways it can ride on your head. It can ride on your head in a, what I'd call a hard hat or a bump cap or mm-hmm. a coal miner's hat. Mm-hmm. It yeah. looks like a coal miner's light. My like, great grandpa was a lead miner, and he has. We have his helmet. And it looks exactly like that. Yeah. We still make but them much on better. a belt, also. Oh, so we'll take that same battery box, put it on a longer cord. You can put it on your belt. Some guys get headaches from helmets or hats or whatever, and we'll put it on a long cord, the head, and they'll just throw it over their shoulder and use it in their hand like a flashlight. Hey, listen to this. Okay, I, I think there's a big market for non-coon hunters to use the lights that we use as coon hunters because people that are that are interacting with wild places, I don't know if y'all know this, but typically – it's dark about as long as it's daylight in this part of the world, especially on the solstices. Um, and uh, and this is getting deep. But if you're hunting, you have to interact with nighttime. Mm-hmm. You shoot, you're a white-tailed deer hunter. You're walking in the stand before daylight. You're tracking deer in the dark. Yep. If you're like me, I wear my light every single day, feeding my dogs, messing with my mules at night. I mean, really, I, every single day I put on my coon light and use it. So... Everybody thinks they know what a good light is. That's not a coon hunter, and they don't. Yeah, I can't tell you how many times I've run over stumps in a boat going into the duck woods. Yeah. Like, I didn't see that coming. Yeah. So two years ago, we started making a light for duck hunters. Uh, it's called the Ben Oak Light. You wore it last night. Mm-hmm. So that light on, on the headband, I didn't know if you knew that or not. I made that one also. That's awesome. Um, so I own all of Sunspot, and I have a partner on Ben Oak. That's yeah, awesome. Yes, so there's two brands of lights. I want to yeah. get into specific specifics of it but let me let me let me tell this i was at a camp i won't name any names rustin johnson but he <laughs> rustin johnson um <laughs> rustin was like uh i love rustin um he was like man i got a light that is bright it is bright clay you're not gonna believe this light this light is incredibly bright and i was like really it's pretty bright and he was like yeah man it's bright it's bright and i said I bet you my truck, it's not as bright as my coon light. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, <laughs> oh, whatever. And I was like, let's go outside right now. I was in the dark. And he turned on his light. And then I turned on my sunspot light. And it was a it was a light they had made for hog hunting or something. Yeah. And it was just, I mean, it was a bright light, no doubt. But it was like night and day. And I, I was just like, bros, you don't know what you're talking about when you talk about lights until you talk to a coon <laughs> hunter. So, like, I'd like to circle back on that. First experience coon hunting last night, it became immediately apparent why you need a bright light. But can you describe that to somebody who hasn't been? What do you mean? Why we need one? Yeah. Well, I mean, just it's just highly specific. You get to the tree, you're looking for a tiny object way up is, in a tree that it, has is looks like a tree branch, is camouflaged like a tree branch, and you're yeah. just trying to catch the smallest glimpse of him or whatever, 30 or 40 feet up. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're just like you're, you're participating in a hunting 
practice that takes place 100% at night. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you might as well just be able to just light the world up. Mm -hmm. But what these coon lights have, like Michael makes, is they have multiple, multiple variables. So, like, you can turn on a walking light, which is, like, in in the click, very easy click of a twist of a knob. It goes to a walking light, which is a really wide, soft light that... It's made for walking out of the woods, and it uses less battery. How long will your typical light run with just the walking light running? Like how long? So uh, we give burn times, and I would tell you that I would say 15 hours on the walk light, but that's how long it'll be bright. It'll start dimming after that. It'll probably burn 20 to 22 before it goes out. Okay, so 22. Think about uh, if you left a flashlight on at your house for 22 hours. I mean, it would burn out. This light off a single charge would run 22 hours. You could walk out of the woods if you just left it. If you left it on and went to bed and you woke up, it would still be bright. Yeah. Now, the the full beam, when you turn it on to spotlight, now that, you're not using that all the time. So you don't need that full power. But what would be the burn time on, like, full high beam? Same thing. We advertise seven at full power. It starts to dim after that, and it'll go about 12 before it's dead. I mean, that's incredible. So I, I take my coon lights on backcountry hunts. Like when I go way back in the mountains in Montana and I see guys carrying in little 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 headlamps, you know, that they can see their toes in their tent. And I'm like, <laughs> that's the only thing you got to get out of here if we have to get out of here in the middle of the night? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, you're not as smart as you look. <laughs> and I'm like, look at this. And I step out of the tent. <laughs> you burn a hole through the Nemo. Yeah, I, I think the thing for those of us that are not adept coon hunters with that have the trained eye to find them in the in the tree, the thing I like about it is the model that that some of you guys had on last night has a laser pointer on. Oh, yeah. yes, we and, started putting a laser on them a few and, years and, ago because <laughs> I'm like, where is it? Where is it? Where yeah. is it? And they're like, right here. Click and yeah, and put a spot. That's a really a, neat feature on the light. You click a single button and it puts a green laser out so you can point out stuff from a long distance. You can be like, he's right there. Beep. So, no, I'm a big fan of Coon Lights. And, and really, I mean, for this isn't a sales pitch for Sunspot. I mean, but it like I just love them. Use them all the time. It's a great light. And, um, yeah, it, yeah. And so it there, there, there are a lot of companies that make Coon Lights. You know? Oh, several I mean, of them. I mean, there's a yeah. lot. Of, and, the, and a lot of them are good. There's a lot yeah. of good oh, companies. Oh, there's a lot of great lights. Yeah, yes. there's a lot of great lights. Well, okay, let's talk about our hunt last night before we go down any further. We went coon hunt last night, and we're down in the Delta. There's a lot more raccoons down here than in the mountains. I've been telling you that. Oh, yeah. And a lot of water. A lot of water. Yeah, a Um, lot more water to weigh then. So we we cut loose. The sequence of a coon hunt would be you go out, typically right at dark. Mm -hmm. We were out a little bit later last night because we didn't get here, but typically right at dark. And uh, we we were hunting four dogs, two walker dogs, and two of my plots. So we turned all four dogs loose at the same time in an area that we believe there be to be raccoons close by. Yeah. And that that understanding would just come from years of hunting, and it's not rocket science. There's a lot of coons on the landscape, but coons like water, coons like hardwood timber in the winter because uh, a lot of acorns and different things still on the ground that they're eating. And so – you know, you guys just knew, hey, this block of hardwood timber by the river is going to have coons. Well, we actually cut loose there last night because it had the least uh, chance for us drowning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of water. And would you say the conditions were just about perfect for a hunt? 
That was a- the worst conditions. Absolutely not. <laughs> hey, if y'all hadn't been coming, I'd we have wouldn't been, have went. I'd have been kicked up in front <laughs> yeah. of the fireplace at the yeah, house. Exactly. You. So Michael brought it up. We did the a meat eater film deal last February, like with snow ice mageddon in Arkansas. Yeah. And we were out there with Michael Lanier. We're on mules squirrel hunting in the snow gonna go coon hunting that night and i had turned to michael we weren't training any squirrels and i said michael it, we we're kind of at a moment when there was a decision of like what we were going to do which way we we're going to go and i said michael what would you do if we weren't here if it was just you and he said i wouldn't be here <laughs> <laughs> and i was like great point uh, let's say you were here and you were just by yourself <laughs> yeah no so yeah it was tough conditions last night yeah, ice ice on the ground you know and and uh it was what that, 25 degrees yeah it was it was cold i think it was 27 when we cut loose it was 25 before we got done and it was uh normally michael will tell you normally it gets below freezing the coons down here they just don't stir much now the thing we got going for us was this is probably the peak of the rut and of the coon rut Mm -hmm. and because of the ice on wednesday and that being friday they've been dinned up you know not going anywhere because of how cold it is for about three days so they can only stay in the den so long they're going to have to get out a little bit you add that into being the rut and you know we think we one of the trees we think had a you know pretty good a sow that was in season in there and that kind of was like the perfect storm in a terrible and terrible conditions. And we were able to, to make some trees last night and look at some coons. Yeah. We treated five coons last night mm-hmm. saw five coons, didn't we? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 We actually saw, we made more trees and saw coons than we did den trees is what I figured we all thought we would do. You know, we, honestly, I figured we'd make dens and slicks. We'll make, we'll make den trees. And well, I figured we'd make the slicks because of the walkers, but. I feel oh. like you need to do a whole series there he on. goes. That's a low blow. Don't start. Disambiguating <laughs> the language of coon hunting. Yeah, You're talk talking to about me. Talk to me. Dens, slicks, trees. Clay would probably have a better handle on the slick tree. I figure he could describe <laughs> them better. Yeah. He's seen more I of them. I don't see very many of them myself. Uh, yeah, so a, a den tree is a hollow tree. Yeah. And so your dog will often tree a den tree and you don't see the coon. So you can't a den, kill den a, tree is bad. Yep. It's like, doggone, it's got a hole in it. Yep. It means the coon's up in the hole. Now, yeah. Billy Coleman and where the red fern grows, and because where the red fern grows is autobiographical, we can only assume Woodrow Wilson Rawls, who served three terms in prison, would have also cut down a tree. He's hung up on what? that. Yeah. Yep. He, he would have cut down a tree, but we don't do that anymore. Some people do. I have so. friends that will. Now, I've tried to smoke them out. Yeah, we've smoked them out. I have a friend that carries a, a hatchet, and he'll cut a hole in a den tree to be able to look in it and see if it yeah. has a coon. Yeah, yeah. A den tree isn't marketable timber anyway. Right, right. So. I think of it more of, uh, you know, just like good habitat, you know. In well, a, now they have another hole to go on it. Yeah, know? no, I, I'm all for cutting <laughs> a hole in it. It's, I mean, on private land. You, you just remodeled that, you know? their home. Man, so so den trees, I, yep. I got a, yeah, I got a good den tree story, but um, sli- a slick tree, a slick tree. Well, first of all, okay, if we're talking about coon hunters, we got to talk about how den trees are often the the often dogs will tree on den trees, and we all know that there's probably not a coon in there. Often dogs that are no good 
do that. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. So you go to a den tree and it's kind of like, did your dog go backwards on this track? Because like a coon could come out of sure. a tree, out of a den and leave. And then your dogs hit the trail wrong, go to the den tree, uh, smell a bunch of coon scent yeah, and be yeah. like tree. And yeah. so it's always really nice. Like last night happened twice where we were able to look in a hole and see a coon yeah. in the den tree, right. which is, which was pretty good. So that's kind of the den tree thing. So when you, when you're just like, oh, it's a den tree, you're kind of like, uh, okay, how many den trees your dog tree on all the time? Yeah. Okay, slick trees. And you heard me give a sucker punch to these two guys <laughs> a minute ago, and then they sucker punched me back. See, there's stuff going on that normal people don't even know what's happening. Yeah, coon hunting politicking. Yeah, big time, big time. <laughs> so the coon hunting world is is very opinionated on the types of dogs they like to use. Okay. And by far, the most popular breed of dog is a walker tree dog. Walker yeah. coonhound. I mean, like, Michael, would you say 80% of the coonhound world dogs are walkers? Close. Probably yeah. 80%. Yeah, close. And then the other, like, six breeds of tree dogs would, yeah. would be the other 20%. Sure. Now, I, it, for people that competition hunt, probably 80% of those are walker dogs. Yeah. A big majority of the rest are not. For the guys that just simply pleasure hunt, um, a big majority of those are blue ticks, black and tans, that sort of thing. Yeah. As a parent, nothing keeps me up at night more than the idea of something happening to my children. But if something happens to me and I'm not around to protect them, that's a true nightmare. Having term life insurance for myself is crucial because I can rest easier knowing my children and loved ones can have some financial support even if I'm not there. That's where Fabric by Gerber Life comes in. Having life insurance just gives me that extra confidence throughout the day knowing that my family will be financially cared for if something bad happened to me. Fabric by Gerber Life is term life insurance you can get done right here, right now. You can be covered from your couch in under 10 minutes with no health exam required. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash bear. That's meetfabric.com slash bear. M-E-E-T, fabric.com slash bear. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? Give the moms in your life an Aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. She'll love looking back on these memories and seeing what you're up to today. Even better, with unlimited storage and an easy-to-use app, you can keep updating mom's frame with new photos, so it's the gift that keeps on giving. And this is not a joke. Juju Nukem has an Aura frame, and we share photos, and they're incredible. Also, my mother-in-law has one. We have them. They truly are really good, really high quality. The Aura frame is easy to set up. It takes just two minutes to set up a frame using the Aura app. It also adjusts the display depending on light levels in the room to maintain the true color of your photos. For real, the digital screen is amazing. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame when you use code BEAR, B-E-A-R, BEAR. That's AuraFrames.com. 
Use code BEAR at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Whitetail Institute launched the food plot revolution in 1988 with a concentration on research and real-world testing of forage products specifically for whitetail deer. Whitetail Institute's research and development team of agronomy experts provide effective, personalized service. I've been using Imperial Whitetail Clover for a long time in a food plot back behind my house. In 2007, I killed the biggest buck of my life over an Imperial Whitetail Clover small quarter-acre food plot. Imperial Whitetail Clover is the only clover scientifically developed through years of selective breeding. Clover Extreme Genetic Stability provides extreme cold tolerance, disease, and drought tolerance. It really does. Clover is coated with Whitetail Institute's Rain Bond, a polymer coating added for enhanced seedling survivability. They have an exclusive offer for Bear Grease listeners, 15% off Imperial Clover when you use the code BEAR at whitetailinstitute.com. That's whitetailinstitute.com and use code BEAR for 15% off. I've always kind of liked that uh, that that term pleasure hunting. It seems kind of like old school. Yeah. It's kind of like, uh, yeah, we're just, just pleasure hunting. It's a good descriptor, though. I mean, like, <laughs> yeah. why are you coon hunting? Well, it's fun. I guess I get pleasure yeah. out of yeah. it. Pleasure hunting. Just pleasure. Uh, so, walkers and Brent and Michael have walkers. Yeah, it kind of reminds and a me of fine pair of walk. Both of them are, yeah, nice hounds. They're beautiful dogs. Uh, well, I wouldn't water- say that. I didn't say whoa, that. Whoa, whoa! In waterfowl, it's like a lab, right? Lab's mm. the default. Yeah, and then you got other breeds. I had a Chassis and whatever. You would have a yeah off breed dog. Yeah, it's just be like just me. A little bit different. Yep. It's style. Yep. Yep. It is style. So a slick tree. Yep. Is when your dog trees and by trees it means he indicates that he believes a coon to be in this tree so that means he would go to that tree and bark yep up and down and you'd go to the tree and there's no coon in it Got like it. like clearly like you can see the whole tree yeah there's not a hole in there's there. not a hole there's not a nest or anything there's no leaves you can see the whole tree and you're confident uh there's not either that coon's like the size of a nickel <laughs> or there yeah. ain't one in there yeah, there's so, several reasons for a, a slick leprechaun trees coon. What what are the reasons for a slick tree? Uh, one, a dog just simply gives up. They've tackled a track that they can't finish. Uh, there's enough scent here that it interests them. They know that their owner wants them to tree, so they give up and tree right here. Yeah, and they're not right. Um, other times, there's been coon, if you, if you've deer hunted for the people of deer hunted, if you watched a coon in the daytime move around. They're up this log, down, up this tree, down. They leave a lot of scent all over the woods. Mm-hmm. And uh, if the dog maybe has a little trouble trailing because of one, just ability or two scent conditions, they may wind up on a tree that doesn't have a coon in it. Yeah. Uh, there are dogs that will grab a tree because another dog comes in and trails too close to them and out of pure competition just grab a tree there's several reasons to slick tree and see the whole idea of a dog treeing too is it's bred into them to want to bark at the base of a tree based upon the scent of the game that they're that they're running like that a tree dog or a tree hound is a specially bred dog like what's so interesting is is that doesn't work out in nature that is a human specific 
thing bred into them. Yeah. Because if a if a wolf trees a squirrel and stays under there for eight hours barking at that squirrel, like he's gonna die. This is a this is a human influenced breeding of these dogs. And so the end goal, the finish for that dog is to tree. And so that's why like he might tree if he gives up. Like he's like, okay, I gotta finish this track. Well, I'm just gonna tree. Or he knows that he gets praise from his owner when he trees, and so he'll tree. That's probably the number one problem, is uh, people not quite understanding what they're doing when they're training a pup. They, you seen me last night petting Heck when he treed. Yeah. Uh, well, if you do that too much for a dog that doesn't completely understand what's going on, well, he thinks, well, I'm going to go out here and tree and get petted. So yeah. here yeah. I go, come pet me. Yeah, So yeah. You also got variations of that. You know, dogs are like people. They got different personalities and they accept praise and and punishment different ways. You know, Wayland is a a clown. I think I could beat him with a two before for doing not that I've ever laid a hand on him, but I could do that and the next minute he's like, Okay, let's that was fun. Let's go do something else. And some dogs you can look at and get on to them verbally and they're done for the evening. Yeah. You know, they just cower down. So it, a lot of it has to do with being able to recognize the personality of a dog and how you can talk to them. Yeah, I just knowing like to look at the dog and say, that was adequate. <laughs> and your dog's just yeah, to get all it. the validation that's, they yeah, need. That was that. adequate. Move You're on. performing to par. You know, how long have I hunted with Waylon? Uh, going on, it's well, over two years. Yeah, a little, a little over two years. All right, he's the most accurate dog I've ever seen. Um, I don't think I've ever seen. These are big words. Sorry. That's coon, hunters, big, yeah. coon hunters don't do this to each other. Go on, Michael. So this is beautiful. This is a beautiful he, moment. He doesn't hardly make a slick tree. And I mean, I can pro, I can count on one hand in two years the amount of slick trees I've seen him make. And he hardly ever trees a den tree that we can't get some kind of look in that den tree. You believe coon. No, I find it. Yeah, I know. That's yeah, what I mean. Yeah, like, yeah, it's like the tree that you believe Stuck in. our phone in the bottom, took a picture, coons in there, that kind of thing. He's the, I've hunted for going on 35 years. He's the most accurate dog I've ever seen. How would he compare to Clay's dogs? Clay's dogs <laughs> treed one time last night and had a coon, so they're 100%. They're 100%. 100%. <laughs> yeah, and, oh, and they were there on the one that got pulled out, so they're still 100%. Yeah. yeah. 200%. 200%. That's actually, they Maybe have three. Yeah. points. Yeah. I have seen... Wayland Slick Tree more than I have Clay's dog. So <laughs> I guess Clay are the most you know, accurate dogs know, I've ever seen. I tip my hat to you, Clay Bowen. <laughs> so given well, the conditions you know. last night, you were expecting a lot of dens and slick trees. Do you slick do they slick tree more on a slow night? Do they have more false flags or so they would slick tree more on a a, a night that the sinning conditions weren't great and they were not great last night. They were night. terrible. Yeah. Were terrible. So we were expecting more of that, but we ended up having a good what I would expect that out of most dogs. I wouldn't expect that out of the two that got hunted last night. Sure. But at the same time, they still do it sometimes. Yep. And if they were going to do it last night, it would have been the night to have done it. Michael, how much? How much? Give Give us an overview of the the what a coon dog. Okay, a couple of things. The the high end of what coon dogs go for, which mm-hmm. which will be exorbitant and will make us all go what? But then also bring it down to how an entry level thing like how could somebody get into coon hunting give me like a span of the economics of coon hounds because it's kind of mind-blowing so and i have some parallels between them and mules this has all changed in the last five years so this has changed quite a bit in the last five years up until five years ago a high-end 
competition coon dog, proven winner or someone that knows what they're doing, have seen him and have complete confidence that he's going to win. Twenty five to thirty thousand dollars. Wow. Um, who has that much money? Just raise your hand in this room if you do. Way more people than hands you would believe. Everywhere. Everybody. I see their those hands. hands. Yeah. <laughs> all eyes, all heads down. Just raise your hand. Nobody's watching. <laughs> I see so, Daniel Roop raises his hand. No surprise. <laughs> I need it. In the last four or five years, there's been some people come into the game that in the competition end of it that there's been coon dogs sold for over a hundred thousand dollars. Now, where are these guys making their money back? They are not. Okay, they're not. They're not. So why would someone back. spend that much money on? So a dog? so let me let me so. With a lot of luck, they can make their money back. When was that hunt? The Jarvis Humphreys Memorial Hunt was three oh, weekends three ago, weekends four ago. weekends ago. Yeah, $4,000 entry fee. Wow. 64 dogs in the hunt. And you would think, oh, man, there's no way that's going to fill up. It filled up so fast that they had a second $64 dog hunt on the same night. So they hunted 128 dogs, two separate hunts, 4000 entry fee per dog. First place paid a hundred thousand dollars. Wow! For cool and, there, and there are there are I love it, man. There's sixty five hundred dollar entry. Yes, yeah, several of them. Uh, they're hunting for wow. a truck right now in Texas. Tonight's the finals. Hmm. Uh, there's a group of guys that have gotten together. They go all over the country and they give away trucks for first place. Entry fee on those hunts are a thousand dollars. I think. I think so. Yeah. Can you wow. can you breed a dog and get money out of it? Stud, like stud dogs. Yeah, I'm thinking like yeah, horse racing. There's no money in stud no. dogs. I mean, you're not going to make a living in a stud dog. Let's put sure. it that way. You know, not sure. that you couldn't make money. Okay, but so that's that's the ultra high end. Ultra and, and, high. And end. I think it could be compared to like race horses. Like you, you look at a horse, like how much a horse cost? Yeah. And it's like, well, you could spend a million dollars on a horse yeah. or ten million. But you could also go down there and probably buy a pretty good broke horse for, you know, well, pre-COVID, $1,500. Yeah. Post-COVID, so, out the roof. You can still buy puppies for 350 bucks or so. You can buy a well-bred coonhound puppy, puppy for 350 bucks. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I gave $250 for Waylon. Yeah. Really? So uh, this is not, they're old. not financial, significant financial barriers to entry into coon hunting i mean you heard michael say what a good dog brent's dog has become and you paid 250 dollars for that dog mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah i raised heck on his mother and his father yeah, yeah so your dog's name is heck yeah 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 so i bought his i bought his sire and uh i bought a half sister to him who i sold back to the owner and got his mother in on the deal so uh, I've always raised my own dogs. I've hardly ever bought a puppy. Right, right. Yeah. Haven't it? Haven't you know, until now. Recently. You're doing. You're in the competition world, though. You're doing some competition. Hunting. Some n- nothing like I used to. I can't with my business. Yeah. Um, so I can't go out here and it, it's it's a competition. There's beat get, people and it, make it people gets, mad at you. Well, it gets heated every once in a while. So you're and Michael only does the sixty five hundred dollar entry. That's so there's not that many. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So. You're in a sport where most of it is judged with what you hear is going on. So it's easy to have a miscommunication with someone else about what's going on or just a complete disagreement on what's happening. So I hear what's going on and you hear what's going on. That doesn't mean that we have the same opinion of what's going on. Yeah. So 
you're basically doing the same thing at a competition hunt. And I can't go out there and uh, sell all these guys coon hunting lights and um, stick up for my dog in a competition hunt and make people mad at the same time. I hear you. So, yeah, I want to just, I don't want to get into the details of competition hunting. We may do that later at some point, but basically on a competition coon hunt, that could, some people might hear that and be like, wait a minute, we can't, you know, that might go against like North American model of wildlife conservation in some way. Like, but a competition coon hunt, no, no raccoons die. You're not even allowed a firearm on the ground. So this is not about. Yeah. So in, in the movie, in the book, Where the Red Fern Grows, and this is probably the way competition coon hunt started, is it literally was who can bring back the most dead raccoons. Meat hunts. And that yeah. hasn't taken place in a long time. Correct. These competition hunts, raccoons don't die. It's it's really an artifact of of the meat hunts because you're just seeing which dog can tree the most coons, the fastest, and the most kind of clinical textbook way for a coon dog to operate essentially like yep. you you want a dog that i mean it seems simple like if you go coon hunting with really good dogs like like heck and Waylon last night you're like what's the big deal sure i mean rip for real we literally turn the dogs loose in the dark and in 10 minutes we're looking at the coon and we're looking at you know heck tree and a coon well what you don't know is that these are really good dogs so the other option is you go out in the 25-degree weather with ice and all this. You turn loose your dog, and he bumbles around for 40 minutes and go over there and runs a deer and makes a big loop and trees for 10 minutes. You start walking towards him, and he leaves the tree and chases an armadillo. I mean, <laughs> you, you, you fill in the story of what goes wrong on a coon hunt, and you hunt for five hours and don't see a coon. Last night, we hunted for two hours two and a half three hours in bad conditions saw five coons you know saw some pretty good dog work so that was like very good mm -hmm. is it safe to assume at a competition they don't do it on the honor system man you don't want me to talk about competition coon hunting so i'm not we're not going to get into the out. honor system. They're they, called the honor rules. They're called honor rules. Are you serious? Yeah. Yep. You yeah. just go out and you're like, yep. Well, three. listen, okay. I'll do they talk have about a judge follow I'll around? Talk, no, okay. See, you're doing what I told you we couldn't do. <laughs> okay. We're not going to talk about this, Isaac. We're not going to talk about it? Listen, this is how it works. I got something else so. we can talk about. <laughs> no, okay. no, no, it's, it's a good, I can just open it up just a little bit, but really, I don't want to get into the rules of it. Sure. Basically, they're very prescribed rules. Yep. There is a judge. And competition coon hunting, by my assessment, and I think everybody in here would agree that would know, is as much about the handler as it is the dog. More so. I mean, like, I could, I could have the best dog in the world and know very little about the rules and not be very good and go out and get beat by an average dog with a really good handler. So does, it's a game. Does each handler have a judge? You're still asking questions. I've got you. You, you waded into this. I'm just trying to get out. No, one judge. One, one judge, judge, one judge who is hunting most of the time. Yeah, that's the tough oh. part. So you have. <laughs> Look at you remember how you once said that coon hunters aren't vaccinated against lions? Yeah. Oh, uh, they're not. All but, right. So what you mentioned about the dog bumbling around and, and leaving trees and and chasing armadillos, there are guys that have an absolute ball out there doing that. Yeah. And that's fine. Yeah. It's just not my thing. You know. Yeah. 
But there are, there are a big majority of people that just love to be out there at night with a dog. It They're doesn't really matter Absolutely. what the dog's doing. That's it was me. awesome. It is a social yeah. sport. That's right. Um, so, you know, last night we didn't – I heard this mentioned on the render uh, about the duck hunting, that it's a social thing. Yeah. That you don't have to be quiet. You don't you don't coon hunt either. I mean, these guys never shut up last night. That's they the dang truth. Non-stop. I told them. I, at one point I said, now, y'all got to understand – we're trying to hear these dogs bark a little bit. Oh, somebody said last night, this it was just seems too easy. Dan and Joshua <laughs> trout fishing the whole night time we were out there. Yeah. Coon hunt. I like, yeah. give it up, boys. Let's listen to this. No. Dog. And so, yeah, that's a great place to like swing the conversation back to why I have always loved coon hunt. And I've done, you know, I've been in probably less than 10 competition coon hunts and, and enjoyed them in their own right for different reasons. It was never very successful at it and, and couldn't expect to be with only doing it that amount of time. But the pleasure hunt, a coon dog goes right back to what you see in the book where the red fern grows. Yeah. And it is, there is, there's a magical connection between a person and a hound that is undescribable. It's in our DNA. It literally, I mean, you go back to our original conversations in the Bear podcast about dog domestication and right. i mean like there is deep science deep human psychology and science about our connection with dogs that's just bizarre like you just kind of wake up as a human one day born and you just love dogs and you're like well why don't i love chipmunks why don't i love <laughs> ostriches why don't i have a rhinoceros in my house and you like don't ever question why you have this incredible connect <clears throat> connection to this dog Again, joking about to this, no, no. <laughs> I'm not crying. I'm just talking to the fast. You have this incredible connection to a dog, and it's like it, it's like very deep, very real, very biological, very all this stuff. And so, to be able to hunt with a dog is it, just fun. I mean, it's just it just doesn't even make it doesn't even make sense. And um, I guess I'm feeling. A- I just thought, I guess now it makes sense. Y'all were there. Y'all are amazing coon hunters. We had amazing dogs. I thought I was just an amazing coon hunter. I thought, I'm just really <laughs> good. Yeah. Yeah. Because you were there. I mean, dang. This Did is you easy. see the way I pointed my sunlight <laughs> yeah, up just, at that coon? But you I saw that coon before Josh Spillmaker. <laughs> That's what I said. I beat Josh. You, mm. mentioned, you mentioned the connection with that dog. Um, so competition coon hunting is about pride and recognition and me wanting you to recognize how good my dog is. That's what it's when it, mm. when it comes down to everything, it's not the money It is for some people, but normally it's not about the money. It's about recognition. So I wouldn't care anything about competition coon hunting and say winning the world championship if no one knew about it. So right. it's about yeah. getting my dog on the front of the magazine, getting him on the website. That's when it boils down to it. It's about recognition for your coon dog. And, you know, and I don't want to throw competition coon hunters under the bus too much because I think there's a there, there's a possibility for a pure motivation inside of any kind of competition. I'm sure there you is. You know, I mean, and there's some guys that are probably doing it for – you know, some guys would say it's for the dog, you know, it's to, it's recognition that, you know, this dog is a top notch dog and for him to be recognized. But, but I get it. I see, I see exactly what you're saying. Well, and the problem with competition hunting is the same reason that they go. It's about pride. So if I have this much pride in this dog and you say, oh, your dog left that tree. No, he didn't. You know, so 
Rex been asleep on the couch over there. Um, I met <laughs> Rex almost 30 years ago, competition coon hunting. That's how I met Rex. Rex introduced me to Waylon over there. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, that, that's how it goes. That's how we build relationships is, is through people that we know. And I would have never known Rex without competition coon hunting. Yep. So. Yep. Uh, it's definitely a passionate group of people that, uh, that love it. Yeah. And that's, so people, it's always interesting interacting with people kind of on a broader level about coon hunting. People are surprised to hear that people even coon hunt anymore. Like in Arkansas and in different places, maybe it's a little bit more known that people coon hunt, but you get into more urban areas and sometimes people are like, people still coon hunt? And, and that's why this book where the red fern grows and the movie and this whole idea for this podcast is so interesting to me that, and I said it in the introduction to this, this podcast was that this was the one time that this super niche thing did a three six three sixty slam dunk on pop culture and made them love it. And I, the reason I got interested in this is I had a friend of mine um, that moved to Arkansas from Los Angeles, California, pretty much. And he, he, he told me that he read Where the Red Fern Grows at his high school or maybe his grade school in, in California. And I was, I was like, what? Like, I, I thought this book was a regional phenomenon. I thought it was just like a small thing. And I said, you read that in your school in Los Angeles? And he was like, yeah. And he was fascinated. And he had all these questions. And he wanted to go coon hunting with me. And so I took him. First month he lived in Arkansas. And I mean, this guy had never interacted with hunting in any way. And he had all kind of questions about the book. He was like, do raccoons really like shiny things? There's a part in the book where yeah. where Billy catches a coon by putting a shiny object in a hole in a log, mm-hmm. and then the coon puts his hand in there, and he's got little little traps that that right. keep the coon from pulling his hand out. And uh, you know, we talked about that, and we well, and then it happened again with another guy from California. Well, he was on the podcast, Andreas Atai from Meat Eater. He told me he he just said, "Man, I love that book so much," and and that's what made me do a little more research and then realized kind of what a big deal the movie was in 1974. Yeah. I mean, that was like a major, that would essentially be like, I mean, I don't, what, what's a famous movie today? I don't even know. Where the Red Fern Grows? Iron Man. <laughs> Iron Man. Where the Red Fern Grows was basically the Iron Man of 1974. <laughs> I don't know. If this was produced by Walt Disney, this was a major motion picture. This was like a big deal. Went across the country, movie theaters all across the country, um, and I think I, honestly, I think there's a pattern inside of it, and I alluded to it and said it in the podcast. But we are very interested as hunters, and I am as a hunter, in preservation of a lifestyle that is, you know, we believe is beneficial to wild places, wildlife, and people and families and economy. Like there's a, like you. you, you You'd have a hard time like giving too much of a, a painting hunting really in a negative picture and in, in when you look at this broad scale thing, but we know that the culture in general in this country 
is leaning towards movement away from some of these things. And so what Wilson Rawls did was he encased a lifestyle that involved hunting into a very human story that was relatable to people. And people all over the country related to Billy Coleman on a human level. And they were like, they empathized with him. And inside of that empathy for another human, they accepted his lifestyle. That's just, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, well, he took, they, he took a subject that just happened to be wanting some dogs and, and applied the lesson of working, wanting something so bad that was pure and working hard for two years, I think, in the book to save up enough money to be able to get something and succeed at a dream. And you could apply that to anything. Yeah. Learning to ride a bicycle. Daniel, there's still hope for that. Mm. But anything like that. Use that handlebar mustache as <laughs> stabilization. You know, it could it could be whether it's in you know, studying in school or learning to play the guitar or draw or whatever. Yeah. He he, he set himself a goal and he worked beyond measure to to succeed and the hardships that he faced along the way and there's so many the story and we're going to get into it more on the second podcast with uh sean tutan the professor at the university of arkansas mm-hmm. the, the 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 narrative of that movie is really quite complex it moves in and out of conflict and resolution conflict and resolution from when the, when the pritchard boy dies yeah when he falls on his axe he what Oh man, spoiler! <laughs> 1974. Yeah, if you hadn't seen this movie yet, you better watch it. Yeah, the Pritchard boy dies. Um, they they go to the coon hunt, and Grandpa breaks his ankle, and then he you know ends up winning the hunt, and then the hunt, the money from the hunt is actually what funds his family to leave the country and go to the city, yeah. which is the most heartbreaking part of the whole thing for <laughs> yeah. me, yeah. for real. It's like, doggone it. I thought his criminal record was, I heard your heart break when you found out about that. Tell me, what do you mean? Uh, when Wilson. you found out that Wilson Rawls had a criminal record. Yeah, did anybody else? I mean, I had no nobody idea. knew that. Yeah, well, I didn't know. Wasn't, so what was the time frame? That, well, it was, when he was, it was when he was young, man. He, he first but, went to prison I mean, in the, Oklahoma when he was year 20 range. years old. 1933 is when he went to, 19. Yeah, 1933 is when he served time in Great Oklahoma. Depression. Great, yeah. Great Depression. Larceny of domestic fowl. So he said he was that, stealing a chicken to eat. He stole yeah. a chicken to eat, yeah. and you don't know the second reason could have easily just been right. a parole violation. The third reason was breaking and entering. Man, that could have been he got in an old building to go to sleep. I mean, yeah. you don't know what was. Right, we don't know yeah, the story. So he, in the speech that you put on there, he said his mother said he was born in the wrong place at the wrong time. Uh, well, I would imagine that all three of those times he was probably in the wrong place at the yeah. wrong time. Yeah. yeah. So. Could have just yeah. easily been anybody. Yeah. You know, it, that was so interesting to me. And, and I found it out, like, while I was interviewing Sean Tutan. I mean, that was the first. I, I expected him to say, man, Wilson Rawls was born in Oklahoma and was just upstanding man. And yeah, Sunday author, school teacher. And he he's buried over by Tahlequah. And he's like, well, he served three prison terms. <laughs> and and then when I went to research it, it was very difficult to find that information, like to actually get like hard information, which right. made me 
and I, I communicated with Professor Tutan, and I was like, do you know, is, is, I mean, I see this, but like, do you have more information? And he was like, not really. And that's when I was like, okay, well, we got to confirm this before. And what you wouldn't know from the podcast, and this is why the Bear Grease Render is the rent, this is what, this is we're rendering it down. I called the Oklahoma Department of Corrections. They never called me back. So it was a little bit of a dramatic setup. The, you got the answering machine, but I they know. never called they back. They still haven't called me back. Hmm. Um, but I was able to, I mean, 100%, I, I believe <laughs> 100% confirmed through records that we were able to find online. I actually joined Ancestry.com. Um <laughs> And looked up his records, and like there is a picture of Wilson Rawls, twenty years old, on a with a handwritten prison like card. Yeah. And that's where it told all the stuff. Yeah. You know, like oh, man, five foot ten amazing. and a quarter, hundred and forty eight yeah. pounds, smoker, vaccination scar in his left arm. Um, it uh, it just like told it all, and I mean, it was like legit. Like yeah, that was really his record, and um. And again, not that that mattered. It's just interesting that he wrote this book that was so deep in character. Yeah. And that an autobiographical book, you kind of get to go back in and write the things that, that you know, you just rewrite your story kind of the way maybe you thought it should have been or wanted it to or be. Or you would like to have been. Yeah. It was it, just so interesting. I think the, prof- the, and the professor that you interviewed said, yeah, he he was probably trying to teach young boys basically how to not be him at what he was and do the things that he did to get him in prison, you know, whatever it was. And it kind of made me think, because I remember very clearly reading that book in school. And then, of course, I remember seeing the movie. And when the Pritchard boy dies, you know, that's such a, that really, it's like, wait a minute, I thought I was watching a Disney movie here. Right. You know, and all of a sudden, yeah. it's like, wait, I thought we were hunting coons. And yeah. somebody's dead. This is crazy. And it, I guess I thought, my goodness, like, what if, and there's no way to know, but, you know, I feel like each one of us looks back on our past and there's these things that we wish we could undo or take mm-hmm. away, like parts of ourselves that we wish would just die, you know? And I wonder if as he was writing that story, he was kind of coming to grips with a part of who he was that it seems like died and came to an end because eventually yeah. he was he was married he had a family he did all this talking to all these kids and wrote overcame his kind of being ashamed of being a writer and wrote these books yeah You know, whenever I look at pictures of my kids from the past year or even just a few months ago, I'm so amazed at how fast they're growing up, and then it hits me hard. I'm getting older, too. That's why planning for my family's financial security has become a top priority. Making sure we're prepared and having enough life insurance in case something unexpected happens and I'm out of the picture is crucial. And Fabric by Gerber Life makes it simple to get the protection that's right for your family. Fabric by Gerber Life was designed by parents and for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. You could go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. There's no risk to apply. They have a 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can cancel at any time. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at Meet fabric.com slash bear that's m-e-e-t fabric.com slash bear 
meatfabric.com slash bear. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? Give the moms in your life an Aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. She'll love looking back on these memories and seeing what you're up to today. Even better, with unlimited storage and an easy-to-use app, you can keep updating mom's frame with new photos, so it's the gift that keeps on giving. And this is not a joke. Juju Nukem has an Aura frame, and we share photos, and they're incredible. Also, my mother-in-law has one. We have them. They truly are really good, really high quality. The Aura frame is easy to set up. It takes just two minutes to set up a frame using the Aura app. It also adjusts the display depending on light levels in the room to maintain the true color of your photos. For real, the digital screen is amazing. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame when you use code BEAR, B-E-A-R, BEAR. That's AuraFrames.com. Use code BEAR at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Whitetail Institute launched the food plot revolution in 1988 with a concentration on research and real-world testing of forage products specifically for whitetail deer. Whitetail Institute's research and development team of agronomy experts provide effective, personalized service. I've been using Imperial Whitetail Clover for a long time in a food plot back behind my house. In 2007, I killed the biggest buck of my life over an Imperial Whitetail Clover small quarter acre food plot. Imperial Whitetail Clover is the only clover scientifically developed through years of selective breeding. Clover Extreme Genetic Stability provides extreme cold tolerance, disease, and drought tolerance. It really does. Clover is coated with Whitetail Institute's Rain Bond, a polymer coating added for enhanced seedling survivability. They have an exclusive offer for Bear Grease listeners, 15% off Imperial Clover when you use the code BEAR at whitetailinstitute.com. That's whitetailinstitute.com and use code BEAR for 15% off. Yeah, I wonder if... uh on that line, the Pritchards dying like they were, man, he did such a great job of making you hate the Pritchards yeah. from the very good. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm glad my last name's not Pritchard. Yeah. I knew those kids. <laughs> What's yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah, I knew those. I knew several of those kids. <laughs> yeah. Oh. yeah, growing up. Yeah, but you know that that book. I d- don't know, so it didn't influence everyone like it influenced me. I wouldn't be sitting right here right now without that book. Hmm. So we, well, the movie. I seen the movie as a as a kid before I read right. the book. Me and my friend sitting, we would spend the summers when we got out of school, the day we got out of school, we went to his grandmother's house and we lived in a tent on the pond of the bank or the bank of the pond for the entire summer. And we hunted and we fished and that's all we did all summer long. We would go to her house once a week, whether we needed a bath or not and take (laughs) a bath. Well, we watched the movie at her house and we decided we wanted to be coon hunters. That's what mm-hmm. had zero idea of how to do it. Uh, looked in the paper, tried to find puppies for sale, didn't have a ride to go get anything. Uh, went to work at the uh, sawmill that was down the road and saved up our money to get dogs for both of us. 
uh, before we did that, we're sitting out on the front porch and there is a blue tick coonhound walked across the front yard in front of us. <laughs> no collar on, no nothing. Was Walt Disney there filming yeah, this? I don't, I don't know. but they, I, they were like, release the blue tick. Here comes a little hillbilly. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we gathered this thing up and we hunted him for a year and never seen a coon. But we hunted almost Somebody's every night. Somebody's listening to this right now yeah. going, and I was in McRae in 1978 and I lost my blue tick. So we hauled this thing around on a rope. We had no idea what we were doing. We were afraid to cut him loose. We were afraid we'd lose him. So we had him on a 10 go back home. Yeah, yeah Freddie, go home. We had him on a 10-foot horse rope, and that thing run more armadillo and deer. We were scratched from one end to the other. And I told my friend, He's my best friend growing up, still my best friend. I told him, I said, we have to turn this thing loose. I am beat up. I'm scratched on my face, on my arms. We have to turn him loose. And we turned him loose and never seen him again. <laughs> okay, okay, now, okay, now they were like, there was like a three-month period when old boy was gone. When he came back, he had a rope burn on his neck. <laughs> but in that time is when we were carrying, we were a lot tougher. Carried the car battery on our back with the spotlight and uh, had little two-cell Rayovac flashlights that we walked with and shined the trees with that spotlight. He made two trees. Mm. He treated a house cat, and he treated a tree that, um, after watching the movie, we thought, you know, coons just look. It's easy. Put the light up there. They don't look. We looked at that tree for probably... Two minutes. Uh, we was so like, he, he might have been up yeah, there. Yeah, he might have been there or not. We was like, lion dog, and away we went, you know? So. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good point, man. When we look at a tree, I mean, sometimes you'll w look at a tree for a long time. Circle it, circle it, circle it, circle it, circle it, and then you're like, there it is. Yeah, yeah right out in the it, wide but, open. Yeah. But that led into a life of coon hunting that led into a life where I build hunting lights, and that's what I do for a living mm. now. So, yeah, and meeting cool. Rex and meeting Brent and sitting here with you guys yeah. would have never happened without that book. Yeah. I don't, there's amazing. no telling what I'd be doing. Making, I'd probably be a millionaire right yeah. now. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Pretty amazing. Pretty I actually, amazing. Uh, we talked about this a couple months ago and I hadn't, I don't know how I made it through school without ever reading this book. And so I, I was doing, so I was building the deck and so I got the audio book and listened to it. And uh, it was great. Yeah. It was a I'm good a grown book. man, and I mm -hmm. loved yeah. it. Yeah. I was disappointed in Disney and the movie. It would have been so easy to have set a tree in a field with a hollow uh, fence, post. fence post instead of whatever that was they had to ghost coon in. That, that ruined the movie for me after I read yeah, the book. Yeah, so there there was I, – I may get into it more on the, on the next podcast as I interview Stuart Peterson – who was the childhood actor who was Billy Coleman. It's real hard for me not to want to tell you all about him, but that's what the next podcast is going to be about. Super interesting guy and super interesting kind of sub story. But yeah, so in the book, they, the ghost coon climbs up a tree and then drops into a hollow fence post. And so the dog's tree on the tree, and then the guys get there and they go, well, it's slick, you know, it's Again. a slick tree. Again, the ghost coon. Well, in the movie, the they tree by an old building and i mean and when i saw it even as a kid i was like come on pritchard boys the old ghost coons in that building i mean i you know yeah it was, it was obvious <laughs> yeah. yeah and so he was going from the tree into this old building and then billy's like you, you notice that in the movie i mean you know like hollywood's got to speed stuff up you can't right. do stuff in real time they get to the tree they shine their light 
He ain't there. The ghost coon's not there. Give me your two dollars, Billy. In there, and Billy's like, "Oh well, shucks, you earned it. Here's your two dollars." And I'm yeah. like, "Shine that tree." Yeah, we got eight minutes, pal, before yeah, I'm paying like, anybody. Where's anything. the sunspot light, boys? Surround this thing. I wonder. We're gonna how, send up the bat signal. How, how many people got into gambling from this book? Because you bet that and kid on the, the podcast fifty-two dollars. Oh he did that to me. No, you. Now he may only be six you, years old, but I hold that you him are responsible. The adult. You bet your truck some guy i'm worried about you <laughs> yeah there's a hotline for people like you <laughs> problem gambling oh man yeah so so the, the book has a couple of different places where the story's different i'll tell you where i got hung up on the movie in the book and this is pretty serious in the in the movie no excuse me in the book the big pritchard boy sees old dan and old blue fighting and and Pritchard goes, I'm gonna kill that red bone and he grabs Billy's axe and takes off running to go kill Billy's dog and he falls on the axe. He trips him. Which is uh, nope. He reached out and grabbed his leg, I watched the movie. You fell right into my trap. <laughs> exactly. In the book, he didn't do that. No, That's he right. didn't. No. That's what I'm saying. That's my point. Yeah. So in the book, he runs and he trips and falls on the axe, which I always thought it was an unlikely accident. I mean, I probably set up by like a Southern mother influence. Southern mothers are always very fearful. <laughs> You're going to trip. Highly yeah. unlikely Impale things. yourself on that axe. Do not and I'm like, Mom, scissors. this axe, you couldn't hardly cut a piece no. of wood with this. What are the odds that and, it's sticking straight up when I fall down? Yeah, it's a, 100%. Uh, so in the book... Billy has nothing to do with the death. Mm -mm. In the movie, Billy Coleman reaches out and trips him, and he right. falls on the axe. Yeah. Billy Coleman involuntary to to manslaughter, boys. I'm <laughs> yeah. not a lawyer, <laughs> but when I saw that, I was like, "Ooh, dang!" I haven't seen the movie. Well, and then okay, and then they go to the oh, it's a, the movie really is well done for 1974 for sure. It was, but they go they go to the I mean the next scene coming out of the woods after the Pritchard boy dies, and you know he's dead. And in the movie, Billy tripped the boy and he falls on the axe. The next scene, the whole Coleman family is by a graveside in the rain, just pouring rain. I mean, like you just feel sorry for them. They're just standing there in the pouring rain. And you see the Pritchard family, who they were set up as this like kind of like bad family. Mm -hmm. And Teuton, Professor Teuton, did a good job. He said, you, what's cool about literary mechanisms is you don't – really know what's happening inside of you until someone tells you and you're like exactly but you feel terrible for the Pritchards these like bad people you know quote bad people that had these little boys that you just hated but then when they just died and you him. saw his mother and yeah. his father and they're standing yeah. there in the rain by this graveside you just have empathy for them mm -hmm. and then the Coleman family is set back from the grave like they're not right up they're not like crowding the family but they came to pay their respects. And when they're walking back to the wagon in the pouring rain, Grandpa says to Billy, Billy, this wasn't your fault. This was just an accident. And I was like, Billy, it actually was your fault. <laughs> you tripped him. And that's where, that's where, Billy, you I mean, if I had been walking back with my son, I'd be like, son, prison's going to be tough for you. Yeah. We need to I get love a you while you're there. I'll I'm going to make you a cake with a file in I'll it. come visit you in Tahlequah. So the, the biggest disappointment for me from the book to the movie 
was the, the cutting down of that tree for the first coon. Yeah. So the movie, it was, he spent one night there cutting that tree down. And right. the oh, book, man. he spent, it was days. It was a it? year. It, it felt it like a felt year. Like it was multiple days. Yeah. 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 But yeah. that was days. his promise to those dogs to get that coon. Yeah. And that was the whole thing of the yeah. book. Yeah. Was his promise to those dogs. And uh, he spent all that time cutting that tree down in the, you know, they, they have to make it happen. So they spent one night in the movie. But. Yeah. Well, and that's part of it that I, that I, I never understood with Wilson Rawls is um, it seemed like a poor family like that would have had a gun, number one. And number two, you cut down a tree with a coon in it. Is that coon not going to hit the ground and run up another tree? Clay, could you just not ruin everything? Well, this is the thing, though. You <laughs> I'm right, asking my coon hunters They were here. poor. And bullets cost money. Yeah. It cost nothing for that boy to swing that axe. That's right. Right. But, would it, I mean, do you think people really did that? Yeah. That so, trees, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. But, they I mean, are, is the coon not just going to run up another tree? No, you, not if you have a good kill dog. To catch him on the ground. To catch That's him the on the deal. ground. Yeah. Because so a dog can outrun a coon. Oh, yeah. yeah. Easy. So my uh, uncle's grandmother, uncle's side, they grew up as sharecroppers uh, here in East Arkansas. And, you know, their dad would give them three or four shells to go squirrel hunting, and they better come back with three or four squirrels. Right. You know, they they didn't waste shells. They didn't, uh, you know, if you could get him out, jump him out. People used to climb trees all the time. That was the thing to do was to climb the tree and kick the coon out. Uh, they just didn't hardly carry a gun. They, yeah. They, okay. So so the preservation of ammunition or yes. not having a gun, pretty pretty realistic. I mean, mm-hmm. I knew it could happen, but I was just like, man, it seems like even a poor family would have a gun. But now the, a sycamore yeah. tree the size of the one they was chopping yeah, on. Yeah, I got a that, gun. We're just going to call it good and go find another. Yeah. But he made yeah. a promise. That That's, was the point of the yeah, book. The he made a promise. was. Yeah, the promise that he made to the dog. And you saying that, Michael, may, helps me make more sense of why at the end, when the dogs die, spoiler, he's what? done. <laughs> <laughs> Have Sorry. you not read this book or watched this movie? <laughs> he's I'm just an idiot. <laughs> or even listened to the podcast? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. You uh, listened to the podcast, didn't you? <laughs> Feeling lightheaded. <laughs> <laughs> Some fixer. No, I mean, that helps me make sense of why at the end, when the dogs pass away, He's done. Like it was more than he's. It was more than I love coon hunting. He loved, he loved those dogs. dogs. He loved those yeah. dogs. Yeah. Well, and so people. That is a, you know, people. Why do you want to hunt coons? I don't want to hunt coons. Coons is what my dogs hunt. I love my dogs. Mm. That, that's mm. what it's about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Coons is just happened to be the game. If it was squirrels or possums or. Whatever the, the, it's about, dog work is seeing you know, a good dog work. W- what I think is interesting too, and, and I I tried to say this in the podcast, and, and we'll, you'll hear it more through this. But it, we, we live in such a modern time with all the technology that absolutely surrounds us and dominates our lives. And I like cultural artifacts. So a cultural artifact would be. Like why that a competi- Why we like to tree a coon? It's kind of unusual. It's like what? Wh- why? Well, and you go back, and there was a time when that coon hide was extremely valuable, monetary value, also sustenance value for different families just eating coons back in the day. Yeah, and that built such a strong thing inside of rural culture in the South and Mid South 
different, you know, wherever they coon hunted, that a coon dog was highly valued. It was highly valued. And so today you go might ask some kid over here that is connected to rural culture. He'd be like, is a coon dog good or bad? Like, you know, yeah. <laughs> and they'd be like, good, very good. Mm-hmm. Why? I don't know. It's a coon dog. It's a, it's, that's good. I mean, I'm breaking it down like to the mm-hmm. simplest terms. Yep. That is a cultural artifact of a time when a coon dog could literally change your life. And then it's also interesting to see like the modern version of that. In like when it, when I look at my life and survey my life and all the incredible times that I've had hunting raccoons with hounds, the people that I've met, the things that I've done that have that has made me go. When I see a coon dog, I'm like that has value because what else are you gonna do on a Friday night? I mean, really, for the last seven years. And I was out of coon hunting for a good part of my adult life. So just in the last like seven, eight years, I got back into coon hunting. And literally, I'm like calculating of the hundreds of times that I've taken my kids and other people coon hunting. What would we have been doing? Mm-hmm. I mean, like what would you have been doing on a cold, icy Friday night in February? And I mean, the truth is probably a family would have been sitting around watching the television. Yeah. Or And it's like, no, we were out engaging in an adventure, engaging in, you know, riding together. trucks, doing stuff, working together. Like, man, I love yelling at kids to go get dogs. When, <laughs> if there's a kid around me and I've got dogs, I'm like, get that dog and put him in the box and then go get those dog call. I mean, I'll just, I don't even know. I don't even care who the kid is. He may be the neighbor. He may not even be going with us. And I, I just have this instinct to be like, get that kid's hands on that dog's collar. At what age did you read the book? Were you in elementary school? No, I I can't. I don't think I, I'm not even sure I read the book when I was a kid. Really? I think we started off watching the movie. That's what we did. We read it, and I remember we, I have very few memories of school, but I do remember reading it in school and then watching the movie in class. Okay. Yeah. I think it was the sixth grade when I read it. I think most elementary schools do it like the fifth grade, but I think it was the sixth grade. But I remember how it affected me at the time. It was a, it was culturally significant to me because of coon hunting being big where I grew up, you know. And I knew people that had coon dogs, and me wanting one so bad, I could identify with Billy in there. I think you and I talked about it the other mm-hmm. day. Yeah, you know? tell me that. Uh, well, it was um, I identified so m- much with it because. I turned eleven when we were, when I read the story. I thought you skipped eleven. <laughs> no, it was one of my favorite years. <laughs> I turned eleven and read the book, saw the movie. I think it came out on TV about that time, and then I had to have a coon dog. I talked to my dad. He said, "Well, you got to earn it." So it's like I told you, I didn't go through the depression. We weren't having to hunt to feed our families. We we hunted because we enjoyed it. We eat a lot of the game that we that we hunted. Mm-hmm. But I identified so much with it that he said, you earn the dog, you earn the money, you can buy the dog. So I worked there. We worked on, I grew up on a farm. So I'm making uh, a wage there for a different task I would do. And he, he provided the majority of the money. But I can remember going to school right after we finished that book. And I put a jar on my desk. And I wrote on a Was piece Was Walt of, Disney here for this? No. 
But I watched this. I put a note in there that said contribute to the Brent wants a coon dog fund. No way. (laughs) Well, I got one donation from a girl in my class, and her name was Amy. Mm. She dropped a quarter in there, and I told her, I said, Amy, when I grow up and get married and I have a daughter, I'm going to name her Amy. My daughter that's named Amy is 31 years no old. No way. Yes, sir. <laughs> and it was from that. Are you at all in touch with Amy, the I original saw her Amy? Like five or six years ago. Wow. Little, Does she think it's life. really creepy you named your I, daughter after her? I told her. I, I actually <laughs> introduced her. I said, this is, Amy was with me. I thought you were going to say, Amy. You introduced your daughter to her and yeah, said, this I is did. your namesake? I said, this is a girl. Right? Thanks, right. Said, do you remember the, a coon dropped out of a tree on Amy's head. <laughs> do you I, remember the sixth grade? And I told you that uh, I was going to name my daughter my coon because you gave fun. me a quarter and she looked at me and smiled and said, I absolutely do not. She couldn't recall it. Uh uh-uh. uh. I said, Well, it's going to kill the rest of the story, but <laughs> this is Amy right here. Oh, oh my wow. gosh. See, I did. thought you were going to say, I thought you were going to be like, Amy, because you've donated to my fund the first raccoon hide that I get, I'm going to donate it to you. I mean, I thought it was going to be something like I that. I thought you were no. going to say five years ago, I bumped into her and she said, My name's Mamie. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't go to school with you. (laughs) Hey, here's, okay, here's the biggest question. I mean, did you get a dog? I did. I did. $75. We bought it from a man that ran a feed store there in Warren, where I grew up. And we hunted him, started training him. Was he a good dog? I think he he had potential to be something, but he wound up getting stolen. But the the biggest mm. adventure I had with him was no, it was a walker. Couple of kids uh, okay. with a ten foot. It was a walker. It was a guy who ended up with a with yeah. a dog for a couple months. My this dad says uh, we're going to take him over. We'll take him over to a spot I know's got a big persimmon tree in it. And we took it over. It's on a farm, a friend of ours. And we drive up. We drive up. We're pulling up, and the headlights are shining on that persimmon tree. And man, it looks, I mean, it's like Christmas lights. There's coons all in it. It's five or six coons in there. Coon eyes glow. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. So we get out and we get the pup out. We turn him loose and he's just bumping around. He, he don't know what he's doing. <laughs> he's running around the tree and around us and back and forth. And I told my dad, I said, I'm going to climb up here and shake some of them coons out, shake a coon out. Well, I climbed up in the tree. I got a, grabbed a limb up. Up the tree I go, and I started shaking them out. Man, it is raining coons for like, <laughs> for like three minutes. Just bam, 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 bam. And as soon as they hit the ground, he's barking, and right back up the tree they come. So they're, they're crawling all That's over a good me. training opportunity. Oh, God, I thought that big old sow coon, I thought I'm dead. You know, and hunt, I can hear my dad say, just hang on, son. Just hang on. <laughs> and But that was that was the most adventure we had with him. But he, he hunted good, and uh, but he got out of the pen, and somebody picked him up. I never saw him again. So mm. I've had my, several several dogs through the years, blue tick included, and but by far this one that I have now is, has been the best. I bought my first one for seventy five dollars working at that sawmill. Yeah, we uh, seems we, like the going price for seventy five bucks. Yeah, yeah. Bucks. we we that's what we got ours for after Jeff Cunningham negotiated. I'd like <laughs> that's actually probably pretty accurate because I got my dogs in '94. Y'all probably got your dogs in the '70s, early '80s. Yes, yeah, a little bit older. That'd have been 1978. So, dog, coon, like, like not good coon dog puppies had gone up by about 25. percent Yeah, because that man wanted a hundred dollars for a pup. Oh, we negotiated like, for two for one fifty. Yeah. I feel Mine like they've out. been depreciating. Talk to me. What do you mean? 
Well, Billy Coleman paid fifty bucks for two hounds. You know, twenty five dollars a piece. Yeah, nineteen thirty. It'd be fifteen hundred dollars today. That's also fiction. Well, yeah. you know, you can buy puppies for yeah. You can do that. I'm just saying. I feel like they're going downhill. Yeah. Well, there's there. It's it's just the tragedy of the commons. Um, coon dogs have not stayed up with inflation. No, like, I wish coon. I wish mules and coon dogs. And, and coon lights, coon lights <laughs> would would like Outpace. go like pace with like yeah. carrots for yeah. say, hmm. or, or like milk. a bag of yeah milk, yeah yeah, but it does they don't. That's because yeah. you put a gallon of milk in front of me, especially if it's chocolate. If milk. you could have a slick train walker or a gallon of chocolate milk, what or would a, you take or a gallon of gallon of chocolate milk? I take all a day. chocolate milk. Yep, <laughs> all day for a I slick did train offer, walker. I don't know if they heard it. I I've said it really loud a couple of times. I offered Michael five hundred dollars for his dog last night. Yeah, he didn't take it. No. Nope. Then I offered Brent five hundred dollars for his dog, and they didn't take it. No. I mean, I don't know. That's, that's a lot of money where I came from. I believe Brent's response was for what part of my dog? <laughs> yeah. By a partnership, just the you dog. don't have. The part. Are you interested in selling a partnership in your dog? Yes, well, you what? can have the part that eats. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is okay. No, let's, do this. let's do this. Remember Clay's last partnership with dogs? Yeah, oh, yeah. It didn't he turn will out. leave yeah. you. I'm sorry, man. Wow, I wow. need to call him. This is like it's um, like figuring out you serve three prison terms. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maybe one day you will. Wow, and they'll be like, "Can you believe you wow. never talked about it?" He just kind of on your Wikipedia page. Well, yeah. and they, it, but then. But what I said was maybe he did talk about it and we just didn't know it. I mean, I don't claim to be a Wilson Rawls, you know, like expert. So maybe he did. Sure. He just didn't in those channels. I gave him that. Out. Well, that's not something you jump up and tell everybody every conversation <laughs> a, you have. In an elementary it, school. It's, yeah. it's also the kind of thing that if, if you are a, a public figure that everybody loves and you wrote this great story that's really compelling that people don't want to dwell on. They well, want to no. kind of forget. Well, and it, it probably just wasn't relevant. Yeah. You don't think so with uh, him I mean, being with all those kids? Well, well I'm just of, saying it happened so <laughs> well. Yeah, what if well, he came yeah, into those yeah, yeah. elementary schools? I get what you hey, mean. It's so if, long ago. That's what, what if I he mean. came into the elementary schools and stole those kids' chickens? Well, uh, think about it. Yeah. If he went to prison for 4-H, stealing a chicken. Out. 4-H. If, if he went to prison for stealing a chicken, he wasn't the only one. It might have been something that was fairly common. You know, my grandpa spent a little time in prison I, for stealing I, a chicken. I just have a feeling that if you serve three prison terms for that kind of stuff, there's some shady stuff going on <laughs> yeah. in other places. Well, but it happened. Remember him talking about even in the clips that I used, which I used like four minutes of an hour long speech. It would have been like his polished version of his life. And he said, in all those years I spent rambling around from city to city. And I was like, yeah, you're stealing stuff. <laughs> oh, my God. Old chicken thief Wilson Rawls. I mean, I'm not making it up. I mean, no, I I'm not the messenger. I'm just the messenger. It's your fault, Billy Coleman. But, but I, and I hope it came through, and, and, it, and I, I believe it did. I mean, I, I respect him because of the, the path that he eventually led his life to. So, I mean, to oh, me, yeah. it's like a thing to be celebrated. Sure. And, and, and I think probably during that time, it wasn't. I think today... Because of the nature of technology and the communication, you couldn't hide something like that. Well, he came to the chicken and in so, the road and he stole it, and then he made the right turn. Well, pork. and the point being about like this time, day and age is you couldn't hide something like that, mm. so you'd have to confront it, and you'd say, "Man, I I, I used to live a rough life," and then but I well, don't. That's anymore. celebrated today. 
So it's celebrated today that you overcame that. Back then, people didn't want to know about it. That's right. Mm -hmm. Let's not talk about you being a thief. That's right. Okay, we just won't bring that up. Well, that's why we like Brent and Dan, because of their sordid past. Bum, bum, bum. Dan and Brent have a sordid past? That's oh, another, we can't talk about that's that. Another I thought this was a safe place, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I'm triggered. Do we just kind of gloss over the part where he mentions that he was working for the nuclear? Yeah, commission? The atomic energy yeah. agency. Oh, yeah. he, he was a construction worker for the nuclear commission. Yeah, I you talk I, to me. I'm just assuming that there'd be a background check on a project like I that. I doubt it. Back there then. is no. Really? No. Nah. Nuclear. Com- I feel, I feel like they were doing some background checking as soon as they started messing with nuclear stuff. For a guy out there, we're not even sure does background no, check. They don't, or we wouldn't be here. Obviously. Mm. Well, okay. Mm. Man. <laughs> oh, Woodrow Wilson wrote. Didn't he have the coolest voice in the world, though? Oh, yeah, he did. Very yeah. Good. yeah. I recognized it off of the movie. Like, they didn't. Like, I think in the credits of the movie, it says that he narrated it. Yeah, but I, I didn't, didn't know reckon, that. I didn't realize that. I didn't know that was his. Not, that was well, his you listen to it and you'll immediately yeah. pick up, like, that's Wilson Rawls. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. But I mean, he lived through a difficult time that we didn't li- we haven't had to live through. And you will not die of hunger when there are chickens running around that you could take. Oh, certainly. <laughs> so. I I'm surprised. I would like a little a more fricassee. detail on that. Like, how do you go to prison for stealing chickens? Someone had connections. He he stole a chicken from someone that knew someone. Probably. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's chickens plural. We, we it could have been two. Could well, been two thousand. I mean, <laughs> we don't know. It, like we'll today, to house. go to prison for stealing chickens, like in a one-time incident, you'd have to like steal like a chicken truck. Yeah. And like they happened to have like, chickens in it. You think like, it was a sting operation? They had an animatronic chicken. I've seen what those game wardens do with deer. Yeah, I have like a chicken out in the yard yep. bouncing up and down. Yeah. I and got then, you, sucker. And you pull in, yep. grab it, and then the sirens come on. Yep. Yeah. In nineteen thirty. Man, I hate to bring this up. This is a big segue, but we had a massive chicken crisis at our house this week at Newcomb <laughs> Farm. Oh really? Oh, it was major. It involved my dogs. Um, it, it, we had this big snow and ice and, it, you know, really extreme temperatures. And we have, Misty has chickens. She loves her chickens, like, way more than a human should love a chicken. Hmm. And um, it's it's hard for us because of how much she loves those chickens. And because <laughs> um, they die. If you had a romantic setting on your sunspot headlamp. I would shine it away from the chicken. Do yeah. not she, put it on those chickens. I'll she tell you did that, not right? like the captain, though. Well, yeah. No, she didn't. Yeah. She was afraid of him. But no, so so we'd had real extreme temperatures, and usually we end up shutting the coop a little bit after dark because if you shut it, you can't shut it too early because the chickens don't go in there. So you got to shut it like right at dark or like maybe right before you go to bed. You're like, hey, go out there and shut the chicken coop. And so like at 10 o'clock at night, she was like, hey, do you mind shutting the chicken coop? And I was like, oh, okay. And so I walk out there, and we I think we had like 15 chickens, and there were like five in there. Yo. And there were like feathers, just a trail Uh-oh. of feathers. And I just go, doggone it. And I walk back in and I go, hey, something something got your chickens. <laughs> oh, and no. she just is like, oh, no. And uh, so I take Tim over there, Tim the squirrel dog. And he is so tuned in to, you know, what I want from him. I don't know what it is. I think maybe it's a coon or a fox. That's what I think it is. And 
I get over there and I see him put his nose on the ground and start smelling and I start sicking him on it, you know. It's like, get him, get him, get him, get him, getting him excited. And sure enough, he takes off trailing and goes out kind of by our garden around and he gets on a track and is barking on the track. And I think, dadgum, he's going to trail whatever that is up. So I go get Fern, and which is my plot hound, which is supposedly a, 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 a dog that won't run off game, which is not true. Uh, and I take Fern over there, and I turn her out right at that chicken coop. And she doesn't strike. She doesn't bark. And I pretty much know it's not a coon at this point. Because if it was a coon, she would have just struck out of there. And she just kind of ambles around. But I sick her on it. Like, I'm like, come on, Fern. Get it, get it, get it, get it, get it. And she hears Tim. And sure enough, she starts trailing, barking. And off they go. And I, I had my phone with me, and I text everybody. And I... You know, I kind of just wanted Misty to feel good. Yeah. And so I'm like, we're on the track, baby. You know, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, we're after them. We'll, Tim and Fern. We'll find those 12 and chickens. And they, they run across the road and up on a ridge and make a loop and circle back around and come over right by my neighbor's house. And I text my neighbor. I have good neighbors. Text my neighbor and I say, hey, I just turned loose my dogs on something that killed our chickens and they're over by your house. He takes me back and he says, I'll get my AR-15 out. <laughs> so I'll be on the porch. I love the guy. Uh, literally, he said that. And uh, and, uh, and so the dogs run past his house and they're trailing. And finally, the track just kind of peters out and they're going to a place I can't get to. And they're by road. And so I call them back. Well, the next night, my neighbor also has some trail cameras set up like that send pictures to his phone and uh it was a black panther it was a black panther <laughs> good one that was a good one that's why you're here my that was back. a good one and and he had a picture of a coyote yeah yeah it was, a, it was i'm pretty sure it was a so coyote. all the chickens are dead though. with there's 10 of them come back. a coyote with 10 chickens in its mouth yeah, yeah. a coon or a fox wouldn't have killed 10 chickens and that's, they would have yep. come back 10 nights and killed yeah. one a yep. night yep yep or a mink would get in there and kill them all and leave them laying. And but so the moral of the story is your dog's trashy. <laughs> yes, <laughs> absolutely. I wasn't going to say hundred percent. And 100%. that's why Dan died. <laughs> that's, that's why, why old Dan yep, died. He right was trashy. Into where the red fern yep. grows, a real coon dog wouldn't have struck a mountain lion. He, yep, he died hey, because he was trashy. I, I'm all about having a multi-purpose dog at different times. I would love it if my dog... Well, and, and and they have got after bobcats a couple of times that I've known about, which is legal to run in our state. I'd love it if they Heck's had a trashy. multi-purpose... What does he run? Uh, whatever he wants. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's obvious when Whatever's it happens. There. He swaps on the very first coon tracks he, cr- he crosses, but he will run something off. I mean... Do you mark that down? Do you realize this is being recorded, Michael? Oh, I, I freely admit it. He's admitted it before. <laughs> yeah. The first time he said it, I was like, I'm going to act like I didn't hear that. And the next time, I'm going to be I'm gonna re- be ready for it and record it. But it's now it he does, says it. Yeah. Yeah. He said it. Oh, man. So chickens, Wilson Rawls, coon dogs, trashy coon dogs. We've really covered it here. This is this has been really insightful. Um, Speaking of Black Panthers, Meat Eater Now, we have our – our believer, believer black panther hat out yeah i'm gonna get one i like that hey man i'm not trying to hype the market but i'll just tell you if you're gonna get one you better get one because they already sold out of bear grease hats again really? Already? yeah 
Yeah. So we ordered a big number of them the first time, and we sold out in like a week. And they were like, okay, well, let's order twice as many. They ordered twice as many of that number. Like we were real. We're not doing this on purpose. Like I'm. I'm like. How many do you think your mom Judy? I don't even have one. (laughs) Juju's bought all of them. Juju's bought them all. I saw Juju the other day, and she was wearing one frontwards and backwards at the same time. No, she's she's bought a lot of them, but it's not support. She's scalping them. Yeah, she's putting them up on eBay. Thirty-five dollars on eBay. No dummy. Just look up. Yeah, yeah. And so anyway, they sold out of the double amount. You know, a couple of weeks yeah, ago it, when I started posting yeah. about those those hats. In like two weeks. So does Meat out. Eater have someone that projects sales? Well, it's it, it was just a gamble. We didn't know how much they were going to sell. But I, this time they're reordered and they won't be back in for like another, I think, like two months. Wow. Hmm. And, they, and they bought so many this time that, I mean. They'll have to give them away They're going to flood the market. Price is going to drop. Nope. They're going to sell out in two yeah. days. You better buy them quick. Clay's <laughs> embarrassed to admit it, but the first time they ordered 10. <laughs> this time they ordered 20. <laughs> hey, you'd be surprised at the text messages I get. I got a message from a guy the other day that is a friend of mine, and um, he's, he, he held up his phone on an airplane and took a picture, and there was a guy like a couple seats up wearing a Bear Grease hat backwards. Really? And I said, did you talk to the guy? And he was like, no, I couldn't. You know, by the time he got out, it was kind of over. And um, I'm trying to think of a I, – I, I, people all the time are sending me pictures of Bear Grease That's people, awesome. you know. But No, so, no, I, I, it's, it, it's great. I really appreciate everybody buying the hats and wearing them and supporting what we're doing. But you better get those believer hats quick. That's all I got to say. Can anybody else hear Rick snoring but me? So we have a coon hunter over here that's asleep <laughs> on the couch. <laughs> I mean, dead asleep. Oh. <laughs> oh, man. Hey, this has been fantastic. Thanks, guys. Closing thoughts. Dan, anybody? Michael? Josh? No. Looking forward to tonight. Yes. We're going, yeah, we're going coon hunting tonight. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're going if it's raining or not. I don't want to hear it. I mean, I'm such a I'm good coon it, hunter. Man. We're going to see so many coons. We're yeah, in. we set you up for real disappointment <laughs> last night. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we got to deliver tonight. Deliver the mail. All right, guys. Next time. See you later. Maui Nui is on a mission to help balance access deer populations for the good of our environment, communities, and food systems on the island of Maui. They've shared over 126,000 pounds of nutrient-dense protein with the Maui community. Secure your spot now. Become a snack subscriber and join in helping to build more resilient food and ecosystems on Maui. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I-Venison.com. And use promo code BEAR for 20% off your first order. This show is sponsored in part by BetterHelp. Around New Year's, we get obsessed with how to change ourselves instead of just expanding on what we've already done right. Maybe you finally organized one part of your space and you want to tackle another. Or maybe you're taking your supplements every morning and now you actually want to eat breakfast. In the last year, I've been more diligent about going to the gym on a regimented schedule, and it's made a lot of difference in my life. Therapy helps you find your strengths so that you can ditch the extreme resolutions and make changes that really stick. 
Therapy is helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Celebrate the progress you've already made. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Grease today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash Grease.